It's time for Cadillac On Call on News Radio 610 KONA. It's your chance to learn valuable health information right here in our community. Now, the host of Cadillac On Call, here's Jim Hall. Good evening, friends. Welcome to another edition of Cadillac On Call presented by the Cadillac Foundation. And tonight we're going to be getting you the latest information on COVID-19 in particular, uh, the vaccination availability here in the Tri-Cities area, and we'll also uh, connect you with the latest case count information, as well as where things stand on taking on this pandemic that has certainly impacted our all of our lives for the better part of a year. We're going to begin tonight with Ben Shear, who is the public information officer uh, from the mass vaccination site that has been underway out at the Benton County Fairgrounds. And Ben, First of all, why don't you just give us uh, what is the very latest as we're talking here tonight on February the 10th? Yeah, so if you're listening live, we wanted to make listeners aware. We added 100 appointments just a little bit ago to the PrepMod site for tomorrow. So if you're listening right now and you haven't had that chance to get that appointment made, if you have your qualification and you know you're qualified for the 1B level, get on there right now. You might have a chance to get any one of those left, whatever's left of that 100 appointments. Last we looked, there was about 70 still there right now at this time. So if you're having a hard time getting on there, now now's a good time to try and get on there. And what is that website uh, specifically? <clears throat> so it's prep, prepmod, P-R-E-P-M-O-D dot D-O-H dot W-A dot G-O-V. So that's where they can go at this moment, and there are some available slots for what you're doing tomorrow. And why don't you, if you would, I know... Uh, as we all well know, that the vaccine is in limited supply all across the country. But what is the plan? What is the daily plan out at the fairground site? I know you ha- you're, you've been open six days a week, and that's the plan. Yeah, correct. So this uh, normally will be open Tuesday through Saturday. Uh, we did condense our time slots down uh, this week, so we're open. Appointments are from 9 to 2. Uh, the reason we condense those down is because every day we've had no-shows and uh, we always have a little bit of extra vaccine in some of those vials. We get a, a, a sixth dose. There's supposed to be five doses in those vials, and occasionally we pull up a sixth one. So uh, we want to make sure that that sixth one doesn't go to waste. So we can't schedule appointments for those because we never know how many we're going to have. Um, so they just end up on that extra extra doses at the end of the day along with the no-shows that that don't show up for whatever reason so we do have that waiting line um and and we're getting them in so today we did 1096 um and again our team was amazing out here they did 300 shots in one hour so we can get people through quickly and efficiently um you know we just need more vaccines to show up at our site here from the state so we keep working on that and a quick point of clarification, you're five days a week, Tuesday through Saturday sorry. is the plan, correct? Yeah, correct, sorry. But yeah, five days a week, Tuesday through Saturday, and we will continue that probably through the duration of this event out here. Um, but that Saturday day, we're trying to hold some vaccines for that so that people who work have a better chance of getting in on those days. And again, you are, in essence, dividing your weekly allotment by five so that you can kind of allow for equal distribution and perhaps more opportunity for people based so it's spread out over the course of that week, right? But you're just condensing those hours because as you're saying, you're going quicker. Right. Yeah. We, like I said, we can do, the guard unit out here knows they can do 300 an hour. Um, unfortunately, we just don't have that much vaccine to last the week to do 300 an hour all day long. 
they would love to do that. They love working hard. They love, they love being able to come out here and help our community do this. Um, but uh, we just don't have it. You know, the vaccine just doesn't work that long. So, um, yeah, we have to spread out our appointments over the week in order to make as much opportunity as possible for community people to get those appointments. And we are tracking all these numbers. So our no-shows each week and the extra doses that we're getting each week, all that's being tracked and smarter people than me um, are adjusting those appointments. And so that, you know, that's why we ended up with that extra 100 appointments today or for tomorrow, um, you know, looking at those numbers and looking at what we can do. Um, they said, yeah, we, we feel comfortable opening up another 100 appointments for tomorrow um, because we know we'll have that vaccine there and ready to go. So, um, again, I just want to encourage people, if you're having a hard time making an appointment, now might be a good time to try that. And again, he has some limited uh, slots available for tomorrow. But I know, as you touched on condensing those hours, part of what you've, you're running into, and I know I think I, I saw you today out on social media saying, if you have an appointment, come out now. Or you also have a limited number of available uh, doses, but you don't know again until about, what, 1 or 2 o'clock in the afternoon each day. Yeah, we open up that hold oversight by 1 o'clock. And again, I just want to... Everybody to understand that holdover is not just for the general public. You still have to be qualified for that 1B1 level. So even the call out we were putting today, you know, asking for anybody to get down here, it was anybody who's qualified for that 1B1. So make sure you go to the findyourphasewa.org and make sure that you're qualified for this level of the current phase of the vaccinations we're doing. And if you are and you just can't get that appointment made, uh, we do open up a few of those slots in the afternoon just to make sure that we have arms to put the vaccine in. Um, but again, I understand that if you're allowed to get into that overflow line, we won't allow so many cars in that line um, just because we don't want people sitting there all day without a chance of getting that vaccine. But just because you make that line does not mean you're going to get a vaccine. We may run out before we take care of everybody in that line. But we want those people there just in case we do have extra vaccines. They're only good for five hours once we prep them. Um, or six hours, somewhere around in that time frame. So we can't hold them for tomorrow. So we've got to have arms every day to get those vaccines into. So that's why that overflow line is there. Um, but again, understand you must be qualified for the 1B1 phase to get that shot today. And, and if you would, for our listeners, another point, I guess, to emphasize is each week, you don't know from week to week what you're getting. Hopefully you get a little bit more each week. But so... When will the signups for next week go and, and those shipments come in to you on Monday? That's why you start on Tuesday? Correct, yeah. The, the shipments come uh, Monday morning. I'm not always sure when the courier is going to get here. So uh, that very first week, if people remember, we opened up on Monday and we really didn't have any good idea what how we were going to get started if the vaccines didn't show up. Um, we just knew we were supposed to open on Monday, and so we made it work. So. Uh, the, gov- the state said, hey, it's just easier to go ahead and do Tuesday through Saturday, and that way we know what the vaccines here are ready to go. Uh, but we usually know Friday afternoon what our allotment's going to be for sure. Um, so usually late in the afternoon Friday is when we start opening those appointments for next week. So I uh, encourage people to check. Um, the, the state Department of Health did fix the website, so it's a little bit easier now, not a lot, but a little bit easier to use. Um, and if somebody does go in and cancel appointments, they will show up as open and available on those days. So, you know, just keep checking back throughout the week. Uh, you might get lucky you find an open appointment on one of the days. Uh, but Friday afternoon is when we tend to open those for the next week. 
And one last question before we let you go. Uh, we just heard the weather forecast. It's already chilly, but we're adding an element of potential snow over the port course of the next couple of days. Any impact on the operations out at the fairgrounds? You know, our guard unit's pretty good out here. They're amazing people to work with. They don't care what weather conditions are to work. They train for a lot worse, right? They do, yeah. (laughs) Uh, Plus, we've given the the, the tents are drive-through, so everybody coming out here, you just stay in your car. Um, So make sure your car is ready to sit in the cold if you need to. Um, You know, we don't want want your car to die in the parking lot while you're working your way through the line. Uh, But, uh, yeah, we'll get you into a a heated tent where the National Guard unit is out there working. Uh, i got the sides pull up so it's easy enough to get those cars in. And we've got nice lanes for you to drive through and get your shot in your arm. All you got to do is roll down that window. Don't have to get out of your car. And, uh, yeah, those guys are working in somewhat heated environments. The wind kind of goes through still. Uh, But we kind of – we can't keep it too warm either because we've got to keep those vaccines cold. So – um, making it livable, workable conditions for the guard, making it livable, workable for the people coming through the vaccine site and uh, getting the shots in arms. And that's what it's all about to help protect our community. And not to sound competitive, but I know the site out at the fairgrounds is the highest producing of those that are in operation around <laughs> the state. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I don't want to really be competitive. It's about getting shots in arms for all of our community. But, yeah, we're pretty proud of the fact that we've got a very efficient, um, operation going out here. In fact, uh, we've had uh, the adjunct general come through. We've had uh, the Department of uh, Health secretary came through the other day and uh, checking the site to see what we can do to help help spread this same plan throughout the rest of the site of the state. Um, not that you know our team is the best or anything. It's just we've got a good system going, and so they're actually working at the state level to figure out how to get the same plan spread throughout the rest of the drive-through states or sites they're wanting to set up. So, um, yeah, it's been pretty good to help our community get out here, and that's what it's all about. Well, well done, Ben, to you and the entire team that's been working tirelessly on such an important cause. Ben Shear with the mass vaccination site at the Benton County Fairgrounds. Have to take our first break of the evening. Back with more of Cadillac on Call in just a minute. You're listening to Cadillac on Call on 610 KONA. This program provides general information only. Any comments or information presented are strictly for educational purposes. Cadillac and 610 KONA do not endorse any of the suggestions made by the presenter or callers. Now back to Cadillac on Call. Once again, Jim Hall. Welcome back to the program. We just touched on the latest at the mass vaccination site out of the Benton County Fairgrounds. And now we're going to bring Heather Hill, the Communicable Disease Program Manager at the Benton Franklin Health District, to get us updated on where we are at with case rates. I know, Heather, we've uh, been guardedly optimistic the last few weeks. Uh, Do you still have good uh, data to tell us the trends are heading that good direction still? And, Jim, we continue to be guardedly optimistic. It appears that we're starting to trend in in an improved direction. And as long as we continue in this direction, um, we're very hopeful uh, where our community, where where we're headed. Um, I think it's important to understand that when we look at the metrics involved with whether we can move on to the next phase or not, it really does look at, at case rates and many, many different factors. And we would really encourage people to go to our website and really look at what is needed to move on to the next phase. You know, one of the metrics we look at is 
positivity rate at our test site. And our CBC West test site is averaging about 500 tests per day. And the positivity rate is at about 15% right now. And Department of Health would like to see that below 10% as one of the metrics allowing us to move into the next phase. So we're, we're really encouraging people to go get tested if they are concerned they've been exposed, if a provider recommends they get tested, or if they're feeling, you know, this time of year, a lot of people are complaining of symptoms of allergies. And is it COVID or is it allergies? And I can't tell you how many times I've heard people say, I tested COVID positive and I thought it was just my allergies. So I think for us in the mid-Columbia region, we need to be really conscientious that, yes, it's allergy season starting, but it also could be COVID. And I know that testing, it's, it's just like the vaccine operation out at the fairgrounds. They're very efficient. It doesn't take uh, hardly any time at all to get that test. So is your advice, if you're at all questioning symptoms or non-symptoms you, that you might have been around someone, indeed go get tested? Just stop in and get tested. You're right. It is run very efficiently and it will only take you a short period of time to go through the test center. And then we're still hearing that your test results are returning, you know, within 24 to 48 hours and many times even less than 24 hours. So the turnaround time is very, very efficient. And you mentioned that these metrics, I know one of them is hospitalizations and happily I know at our facility at Cadillac, uh, the numbers are continuing to trend in the pro- oper- uh, operative direction. But I think the state number of memory serves between the four hospitals within Benton and Franklin. It has to be, the goal is to get under 10%. And I think it's right around that. So we're pretty close on that metric. Are the case rates trending in the right way? I know not to get too detailed into the math, but are the case rates trending in the right direction that we're maybe qualifying because those trends are going down over a seven or 14 day period? We're, we're very hopeful, and I think that just really is what we need to look at and continue to work toward is we are so close, and we just need to continue to do all of those mitigation efforts because, honestly, our community, our region is so close to moving to the next phase that we just need to keep doing what, what people have been doing, and it's, the evidence is there. You do those mitigation um, things, and and our trend will improve. If you would, let's go back to the vaccination comment because of your public health expertise and as a nurse, uh, give us some advice for people who have gotten the vaccine. Maybe first of all, uh, after, say, you get that second dose, when would we be protected optimally? Sure. The Center for Disease Control did just release some new guidance, and we've been getting a lot of questions at the health district about this. And essentially, if you took a two-dose series, which is the typical vaccine you're going to get in the Tri-Cities, it's Moderna or Pfizer, and those are two-dose series. If you have completed that two-dose series and it's two weeks past your second dose, then it's really felt that you are probably immune. And unless you are actually exhibiting symptoms of COVID, you would not need to go into isolation. So it's important to get both doses. 
and then know it takes a period of time for your immunity to kick in, which is about two weeks. And then after that two weeks, we would not expect you to need to go into isolation if you were exposed. However, if it has been longer than three months since your last dose in the series, that's when we're not really sure how long your immunity will hold post-vaccination, and you could actually end up um, catching COVID and being infectious again. So that's just a a point that uh, there's not enough data at this point since everything obviously was so quick to get, get approved? And I think that's what people need to understand is this is such a a new uncharted territory that we don't always have the answers we'd like to right now. So kind of erring to the side of caution, that is what we're looking at is understanding it could be protection for about three months. As we look at data and as we study people post-vaccination for a much longer period of time, we'll have a better idea of how long your your immunity lasts after vaccination. But we just don't have enough data yet. What about as far as being contagious? I mean, okay, if I get the vaccine and I'm in that couple-of-week period, so I'm in pretty good shape, am I, can I still asymptomatically <laughs> spread the virus if I'm exposed? I know there's a lot of conversation about this. And... We honestly don't know, especially with the Moderna or the Pfizer, does that stop you from being contagious to others? Some of the vaccines that we're looking at coming onto the market do have evidence that they stop the actual spread, the asymptomatic spread. So we know that Pfizer and Moderna will stop you from becoming ill with, with with COVID, but we're not real sure yet how well it stops you from spreading it to others asymptomatically. Some of the other vaccines coming on the market are actually looking at that and coming up with some pretty good data to support whether they do or don't actually cause spread after you get vaccinated. About another minute or so left, but a a concluding question. So is it still, I'm, I'm surmising by what you just described, even with the vaccine as more people get vaccinated, it's still going to be, uh, desirous to wear face coverings out in the in the public for the foreseeable future, even as more right. people get vaccinated. Right. That's where we encourage people, even if you've been vaccinated, it's not a time to let your guard down because we know that getting vaccinated stops you from likely to become ill if you get it infected. But we're really not sure data-wise if it actually stops you from spreading it. So that's why masking, covering that nose and that mouth is so extremely important, even after you've been vaccinated. So you're running the vaccination clinic at the fairgrounds. Obviously, you're fielding a lot of calls on just educating the public. Uh, what is the biggest challenge as we close here at uh, on uh, on February the 10th? I think, honestly, our biggest challenge right now is with the activity out at the fairgrounds, we're realizing there are a lot of people who still want the vaccine. The vaccine clinic is running efficiently. And if we actually had more vaccine coming into that clinic, we could serve a lot more people. Well, I guess uh, as we move into through the month of February, the the vaccine, hopefully, and I, I touched on it with Ben, that uh, our, our operation here in the Tri-Cities is running very efficiently. I know Cadillac 
is in that same boat, is trying to run some community clinics, but it's very limited doses. And for folks uh, on those Catholic clinic uh, opportunities, the the thing to do is to monitor Catholic's Facebook page. That's really the quickest way that information can get out. But I also know, Kather, there's a phone number that people can go to if they're not so tech-savvy too, right? Right, right. There's phone numbers. You know, 211 is helping people get registered. But I'd also encourage people to look at the Benton Franklin Health District website because as providers you know, become uh, vaccinators, we are putting them on our website and letting the public know that these people are open to do vaccinations for you. Heather Hill with the Benton Franklin Health District. Thanks so much for your time. We'll talk again next week and back with the second half of Cadillac on Call. You're listening to Cadillac on Call on 610 KONA. This program is not a substitute for direct consultation with your own health care provider. Always consult your health care provider for your specific condition, especially if you have or suspect you may have a medical problem. Now back to Cadillac on Call. Here again, Jim Hall. Welcome back to the program. The Catholic Foundation and Catholic Community Health are joining together with the Tri-Cities Union Gospel Mission and Grace Clinic on a new service aimed at assisting the Tri-Cities homeless population. Work is underway to hire a health professional to work at the mission's men's shelter with patients who have been discharged from the hospital. And we're going to go to the phones and learn more about this project with Susan Campbell, who is on the nursing faculty at Columbia Basin College and is also a longtime volunteer nurse and supporter of the Tri-Cities Union Gospel Mission. And Susan, thanks for taking the time to be with us tonight. But for our listeners, maybe tell us, first of all, what this project is and, and, and the importance of it. Sounds good. Hey, Jim, thanks again for the opportunity to, to just speak a little bit about what I've been so passionate about over the years. And um, I, I think it might be helpful first to um, to talk about what is respite in the context of this program, because certainly people probably have heard the term respite used in a variety of ways. And um, so, really, what we're what we're saying is that um, the folks who are homeless, who are in the hospital, so they're in after a surgery or an injury or just for healing from a chronic disease. And they're not quite sick enough to stay at that level of care, but they're not well enough. They're not ready to just be sent out on their own. So right now, we've not had in our community that bridge. How do we bridge that gap? And so people have had to stay at the hospital longer than actually what's needed, or they've been you know, sent to another level of care that's not necessarily been um, the best use of, of resources. So truly respite in our context means providing a place, a healing space at the mission that allows people to um, to receive, you know, the level of care that they need at the mission. And I know uh, this project has been in, in, in the works for a number of years, but the, the magic of the, the new the new mission facility mm-hmm. has allowed for that and, uh, and with some, some funding That's from the sure. Catholic Foundation and the Community Health Investment Team. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, here we are where we have that. What will this person do and, and why is that so important for the mission? Oh, you're right that it has been <laughs> in the works for quite a while, about seven years, so um, so this is truly a culmination of a lot of people within our community having the, the, the idea and the thought that we could do this better. And it had to have a base level. It had to have somebody to get things started 
And that somebody was Cadillac. And Cadillac provided the funding that will be needed for this coordinator position. And the coordinator is, is truly going to act like that bridge, a bridge between the mission and this this space within the mission that can be used for, you know, finishing that healing. And the hospital discharge planners who are looking for a space, an adequate space for somebody to finish up their healing. Um, the coordinator is also going to be part of coordinating things like if you were at home after surgery and you, you needed physical therapy to come to your home, uh, that's exactly what we're going to be able to do at the mission. We're going to be able to partner with the home health agencies like registered nurses who come out and provide um, IV medication or physical therapists who come and help to restore function. So those are the things that this coordinator position was needed for to really be that bridge between the mission and the healthcare uh, services in our community. And it's interesting. I know Catholic's Foundation has a mission of elevating community health. The Catholic mm-hmm. organization, the larger organization, it's health for a better world. And, and I guess that means health for all of our citizens, right? And, and, and yeah, our community it probably would be stunned to realize the, the, the level of homelessness in this, in this community. Yes, and the impact. Um, it, um, um, health issues, chronic disease, you know, sudden injuries, those are the kinds of things that actually um, um, tip the scale for somebody who's been on the edge, maybe able to afford their their apartment, but suddenly this illness, this long-term, this change in health, and they're in the hospital for quite a long period of time, and then they've lost their housing. So you can see it's, it's, um, it's going to be a program that impacts more than just what we would maybe stereotypically look at someone who's homeless, but, um, but really... Uh, bringing health to the body, you know, the soul and the spirit. And if you would, before we let you go, I know uh, obviously the the funding for this project and the, and the foundation and the the donors that have made this possible. I know that adds a, an element of of, of mm-hmm. extra feel goodness, if you will, about about this because there's people helping other people. But talk a little bit, if you would, in your role uh, working out at uh, CBC and with uh, nursing students from both CBC and WSU through your career of how they help uh, provide some care at the mission as well. Oh, sure. That, um, it is kind of a, a fun way to um, build community health uh, knowledge into the next generation of nurses. And that is um, since we've been having um, nursing volunteers at the mission for the last eight years, we've also been having um, nursing students, both from WSU and from CBC. So this partnership um, with Cadillac is truly, you know, a partnership within the whole community. It really just um, is a, it gives back to our community in so many ways, not just by decreasing hospital expenses or returns to the emergency room, but by helping the next generation of nurses to see um, something a little broader than what they might see every day in the hospital care. Um, but, but really it is. It's for, it's for all of us in our community. So I, I guess one thing I really like calling it is that we are supporting home-based healing for those without a home. Um, what you would consider uh, a standard level of care 
if you were in the hospital or if you were in the emergency room and needed extra support, that home-based healing uh, needs to happen also for those without a home. And there are a lot of elements, as we've touched on, that have gone into this, the, 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 the clinical education component, mm-hmm. the, the, the health care, the hospital component, the outpatient services component. And then there's another organization that I know you've been uh, closely connected over the years, which is Grace Clinic, which provides mm-hmm. for people that don't have insurance, the, the outpatient care. So just another part of that network that's coming together for, for this sure. project. Mm-hmm. That's for sure. We have um, definitely benefited from Grace Clinic's leadership uh, for this project with the ability to connect um, in a trusting relationship with the, the hospitals and the other healthcare agencies. Yeah. And I would imagine uh, seven years, a long time coming, and I know this has kind of been your life's work in addition to your mm-hmm. educational component, but uh, maybe just a concluding comment of what this means to you personally for to see this project come to fruition. As you mentioned, it, it's it's providing care to those who need it at the most vulnerable parts of their life. Mm-hmm. Very true. And, and more than just um, providing care in a sterile environment, we're providing care in a loving environment. And that that makes all the difference to me in the world, that, that we as a whole community are coming together to support those who are most vulnerable at a time when we can really make a difference for them. Well, Susan, continued great success uh, with the volunteers and making this project happen. Uh, Cadillac, the Cadillac Foundation, Grace Clinic, mm-hmm. the Gospel Mission, and all of the community agencies uh, that provide the the, um, the health education workforce in this Tri-Cities area are all teaming up on this, and I think it's, mm-hmm. it's a really an admirable project. Thanks for all you do. Thank you very much, Jim. Thanks for the opportunity. Susan Campbell, the nursing faculty at CBC, as well as a longtime volunteer with the Tri-Cities Union Gospel Mission, talking about this exciting project, Medical Respite Program at the Union Gospel Mission. And speaking of the Gospel Mission, when we come back, we'll talk to Cheris Warner, who uh, is intimately working at the mission, and, and learn more from their perspective right after this. You're listening to Cadillac On Call on 610 KONA. This program provides general information only. Any comments or information presented are strictly for educational purposes. Cadillac and 610 KONA do not endorse any of the suggestions made by the presenter or callers. Now back to Cadillac On Call. Once again, Jim Hall. Welcome back to the program, Catholic Community Health, the Catholic Foundation teaming up with the Tri-Cities Union Gospel Mission and Grace Clinic, among others, to provide important services to the mission, a homeless medical respite program. And you just heard from Susan Campbell, who is overseeing all the nursing operations there and uh, talking about how important this is. And now we're going to go and speak with Cheris Warner directly, who works at the mission. And Cheris is the ministries director at the mission. And and Cheris, you heard Susan speak to it, but you obviously are there uh, working uh, day in and day out. For our listeners, just illustrate for them, if you would, just a brief explanation of just how significant that homeless problem is in our community right now. Well, you know, right now we're looking at it even expanding. So um, currently we, um, this evening as I sit in my office, I'm housing over 70 men in our facility. And um, we have women and children at the women's shelter. Um, 
And, and so, and that's just a fraction of the people that in our community who are experiencing homelessness on the verge of homelessness, um, with the economic struggles and stuff that are, that are going on. It is, it is a growing problem, but, um, we have hope. We have a new facility. We're, we're on the, the brink of hopefully uh, expanding our women and children's services. And with this medical respite care program, um, we're able to fill in the gaps even more for this population. And you are in a brand new facility. And if people have not seen it down in downtown <laughs> Pasco, it is a wonderful facility. And I'm sure you're overjoyed at, at what this community has brought to you. But the work is not done, is it? No, no. It, you know, it, it is an amazing offering. Uh, we are 100% donation ran and supported by our local community. Um, and so to see that they stepped up when the need was asked is just overwhelming. Um, and yeah, no, we're, we're here every day <laughs> trying to, to do our best to, to honor their gift that they gave us with this new facility, yes. If you would, what does this medical respite program mean from an operational standpoint from your perspective? Well, I I can tell you um, not only from my many years as being the director of the Women and Children's Shelter, but also um, from my staff's perspective, it breaks our heart to see um, some of the people who are on the street in the condition that they are, um, you know, sleeping in their cars after recovering from surgery, um, getting coming to our shelter with wound vacs and and just us not being equipped to meet their needs um, has really worn on our hearts. And so we we <laughs> saw this need for for the last several years. And then, um, like Susan said, about eight years ago, we finally got the nurses in and and started making those avenues. And and uh, seven years ago, we sat down at a table and, and started this discussion for um, the need for this. So how will it work? What, what give us an idea with with someone who, okay, it, it's identified as when when a patient, when someone leaves the hospital and is discharged and they don't have anywhere to go and they end up in the mission, how is your facility equipped to, to handle these patients? Are there actual um, rooms where they would be designated to, to recover in? So, yeah, we'll have a... Um, uh, our, currently, we're interviewing for a coordinator who will help the discharge planners from the hospitals not um, discharge appropriately to the mission, and and that that patient will be directly discharged to a room. We have three two man rooms that are set aside um, for for this population. Um, you know, as you know, depending on the condition, sometimes they need to have their own room, <laughs> but um, they'll be discharged directly to that for their respite time. Once they're discharged from the respite time, that means they're healed up enough to to go back out into the community um, and do normal day-to-day activities. Um, they will come through our regular process. So they'll go through our rescue, recovery, and restoration model, which um, so they won't be discharged to the street once they're done with our respite care program. They'll be discharged to the regular population within our shelter so that we can help restore what they have lost. 
And as you mentioned, up until now, once this program gets up and running, it's it's just a difficult challenge for the healthcare community because, again, the appropriate place for them to be might not be the hospital, which is a good thing. But then they have, if they but they still need some sort of care and they don't have anywhere to get that care, that's where this project helps stem the tide. Yeah, yeah, it's it's. Not only is it going to help the hospitals and discharge planners or different healthcare agencies understand our capabilities and and sometimes our lack of, but also um, us understand their uh, capabilities. And with that, we um, will be able to hopefully even expand, make refine this process, make it better, so there is no gap in our community for uh, the most vulnerable. And, and in need. Before we let you go, I want to maybe have you broaden your, your final comment, if you would. Uh, we've heard on the weather forecast it's supposed to be very cold. It already is very cold. We're supposed to get snow in the next few days. I know in the dead of summer when it's 110, you face that same situation, and and yet yep. your uh, your need is always there, and you have you have people who need your services. Yes. Well, I um, I did want to tell you a, a quick example of where uh, people are falling through the cracks. Uh, we had a local uh, hotel catch on fire, and we had uh, one of their residents who um, is a vulnerable adult. Has um, We have made several APS reports recently, um, and uh, he had to come to us. He was displaced out of a fire. This morning, one of our nurses found out that his blood sugar was so high we couldn't even uh, test it. It was so high. So we immediately were able to send him to the hospital. If he wouldn't have had the shelter here and we wouldn't have had the care and the ability to meet his need, um, he may not have made it today. And so um, it, it's, it's not just people um, who you would think are stereotypically homeless. They may become homeless because of, of nothing that's their fault, like a fire. But um, we're here to help anybody out there um, who's in need. So if you see someone, please send them our way. And if you have the time, um, please go to our website and uh, or come down and see our new facility. And we would love to be able to engage and, and help. <laughs> that's what we're here for. Awesome. Well, Charis, thanks so much, as always, for taking the time to be with us. Charis Warner, the ministry's director of the Tri-Cities Union Gospel Mission. And again, a wonderful project and a wonderful partnership. Thanks to the Catholic Foundation and Catholic's Community Health Division uh, for funding. Their donors contributed to making this project happen. And it's a new uh, mental medical respite program uh, getting underway at the Tri-Cities Union Gospel Mission. More information on how you can support the work of the Catholic Foundation visit catholicdoor.org slash foundation. Again, to all of our guests, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Stay safe out there, stay warm, and we'll talk again next week. Thank you.